welcome everybody back to part two with the hurricane on tales from the core if you uh, haven't heard part one then kind of need to unfuck yourself there <laughs> go back listen to it and then uh but you know what you could listen to this one first because i i have i'm a huge quentin tarantino fan and we're actually gonna do things out of order so we're gonna start about like your journey you know, joining the Marine Corps, kind of the things that you went through, your boot time, pre-36, 236, and, and beyond. Um, so I guess it doesn't really matter what order everybody listens to, but welcome and welcome back. Master Sergeant retired. Good afternoon, Lima Company. To all how shall see these presents, greetings, know you that imposing special trust and confidence in the fidelities and abilities of, right? You know, so uh when you're institutionalized like I am, you can like recite idioms and like knowledge like a motherfucker. So, you know, um, I am the infantry messiah, right? So I fucking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so funny because it'd be like a, a random Wednesday or Thursday. It'd be uh, like 2.37 p.m. And I'd get a little, you know, text on my phone and it would uh, it'd say fleet assistance program because. The, the day before, we we're talking about we didn't know what the fuck fat meant. Right. Yeah, 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 Here's yeah. this one. Here's this one. Because I think that there's this Marine Corps lore that it doesn't really stand for anything. Nobody knows what it means. What does EDL mean? Equipment density list. Equipment density list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's sad that I could know that, right? So, like, your EDL, right? You have individual EDL and you have your platoon EDL, your company EDL. You know, it's your tax set, you know, that's how you're going to task organize all your weapons, gear, and equipment, optics, and comm gear, you know, and it's all serialized, you know, um, tactically what that's for is like, if I'm doing a resupply as a platoon sergeant, you yeah. know, um, I have my ammo loadout. And so I know by my EDL, you know, on my tack loadout of my Marines, like if I'm calling in a resupply, you know, right. I know how many beans, bullets, bandages, and bad guys I need to freaking send our way. Because like um, maybe the Marines just like put on a fireworks show with the the with the gunpowder, yeah, yeah, you know, like freaking <laughs> took yeah. video of it. Yeah, it's a video. <laughs> you know, I'm doing a midnight run to resupply for some fucking reason. Uh, there's 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 probably tens of tens, if not you know a hundred guys that they just learned what EDL stood for today. Me being one of them, I had no okay. idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's EDL. I mean, and the, you know, it's a it's a it's a double set series. You know, you have your EDL, which I just explained, but you also have your, you know, your your Marines. You know, and you have all their personal identifying information. You know, down to their yeah. blood. You know, and that helps me if I'm calling it a medevac. You know, uh, not that it's not written all over our shit, but right. like if I'm geographically separated from you in a fight. And I'm calling it a medevac, you know, you know, those medevac dudes, you know, those corpsmen or whoever's coming to fucking support us knows what type of blood bags to load on that medevac. Yeah. You know, they're going for O-Paz, O-Neg, A-Paz, whatever it may be. Like all those little stupid times, you know, of being so devils in the details and like making sure over and over and over and over and over and over and over redundantly you know, into that behavior of thought of like tasking team leaders and squad leaders, bring me your fucking EDLs. Yeah. You know, and you're like, are you serious? Like it takes time. And like, you're like, 
you know, and I'd go over it and there'd be a number missing or something. How the fuck did he know that shit? You'd be back going back over your EDLs, um, not understanding it, like the leadership level, why all that stuff was so important. You know, that was our, you know, that was our part of our job is to take, take the higher picture away from you so you can focus at the task at hand, you know, creating hate and discontent and violence of action. Right. Yeah. And in the event, you know, like to keep the fight going, you know, you need that higher echelon of leadership and support in order to do that. And all this little tidbit information is important to send up the kill chain, you know, when the time is needed in order to keep the attack going or the mission going or whatever it may be. I mean, from fuel to MREs, to water, to chow, to bullets, to CLP, to like, you know, what does CLP stand for, Francis? Francis. Clean, something, protect. Clean, ah, clean, blue, protect. There we go, brother. Yeah, clean, blue, protect, right? Yeah. So like all the little, all the little mechanisms that keeps the machine going, right? The gears lubed and, and everything. Donkey dick. Yeah, the donkey I dick. Gotta, I got to throw that one in here because... uh Sylvester texted me last night did, saying yeah. how good the the Gaddis the Gaddis and Talbot episode was. Oh, and I great! Said, yeah, I, I, said, great I said it was so it was almost as good as yours, and he said, "Yeah, well, you know, they didn't say donkey dick, so they came up a little short." So right, right, right. <laughs> you know, like I used to call Marines when they when they were all fucked up, you know, and didn't know basic tactical or technical knowledge. You know, I call them a benats. Benats, yeah. yeah, yep, yep. Okay fucking benats and i never told anybody what it meant and i remember like you know there's a couple of marines constantly even over the years it would message me, what does benats mean like you would always say that to me i never i never knew what it was like you're fucking benats yeah <laughs> and all it meant was basic infantrymen not obviously trained to standard <laughs> interesting yeah so there's that one sylvester i got you yeah yeah <laughs> My my favorite rat fuck man. I just I don't know why to this day you know rat fucking the MREs. I God I just think it's just a hilarious. It's one of my favorites. My one of my favorite terms from the Marine Corps. Right. Can't rat really fuck. explain. Yeah. Yeah. Just enjoy it. Yeah. I just love it, man. I just you know it's uh, gaggle fuck was a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, that's yeah. a basic one that got to me. Like as a young Marine, like it used to be like that thing in boot camp that the drill instructors would always say to you. Was that thing you hate? It, it is a thing I hate. It was so this word alone, like I don't know what it was. It crept into the crevices of my freaking brain. Housing group was was literally all they would call you was ass. Yeah, <laughs> your ass. Hey, ass. <laughs> and, you know, with that groggly, grainy, coarse voice. Hey, ass. And you would just you were telling me. Fuck, man! It would just grind it. It was like the there most was another derog- derogatory, like, and you never thought the word "ass" would get to somebody, and it just, man, it got into my craw, man. It would just like infuriate me, and they're like, "Come here, ass, hey, ass." Well, there was another term because you were telling me some boot camp stories. There was another yeah. phrase that you said just because you asked me if they if we used it, and and I hadn't heard it. Oh, I can't recall what it was what we were discussing because we've had a, quite a few conversations yeah but yeah. i can lead off of that like you asked um yeah right my history like you know my my little you know legend in my own little mind like we all are right so we all had it you know worse off or tougher and blah 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 
uh, yeah, I had, you know, not, I didn't have the standard entry into the Marine Corps, I guess, from my perspective, my little sliver view of everything, but, you know, boot camp was boot camp. We've all heard enough boot camp stories, but mine, mine started, my finagle fuck started when I got to SOI, you know, uh, I entered the Marine Corps, you know, I was a recruiter's dream because I walked in and said, I want to be an O3 infantryman. Yeah. You know, and literally like two weeks later, I was on a bird headed south, you know, to MCRD San Diego, uh, the right coast. And, uh, you know, went through boot camp, all that stuff, um, like everybody else, you know, uh, I akin it to just being one long day because that's all I can remember it being hate and discontent and everything in the middle was hate and discontent, you know, from beginning to end. And, uh, so, you know, you take your 10 day boot camp leave, did the, did the thing most Marines do. You go off on your 10 day boot camp leave. Um, you know, you kind of get back with your, your, you know, back on the block a little bit with your buddies, all that good stuff. And, uh, um, you go to SOI and at the time SOI was different in training wise and what you did, but you kind of all went to MCT first. You did your basic infantry skills. Um, and then your last month and a half was ITB infantry training battalion is when you got your official last two numbers in your MOS designator, you know, you became whatever, a machine gunner, tow gunner, um, dragon gunner, assault man, blah, you know, mortarman or whatever it may be. And, uh, so when I went to SOI and checked in, I started off, you know, I was an O3 open contract, you know, congratulations. You're going to be an O351. Didn't know what it was, you know, anti-tank assault. You're going to work with explosives and kill tanks. You're going to shoot yeah. rockets, missiles and, and kind of the more sexier side of things. And I was okay with that. I was like, oh, that's fucking pretty cool. Yeah. I'm going to go blow shit the fuck up, you know? <laughs> you know, and I, I literally get, you know, finish MCT, do all the basic infantrymen stuff, and then go over to our MOS schools. Um, And I'm in class as an 0351 assault man. That evening, we have a company formation. And as typical... Uh, I think, uh, Sylvester alluded to this a little bit as well. Like as typical, like things were by the number back then. And for some odd reason, they lined us up A to B, you know, alphabetically by our last names. And I'm an S right. Strong. And like, I remember the first arm just coming up and be like, everybody from S up, you're going to go be an LAV crewman. And I was like, what? Yeah. Fuck? <laughs> like I'm going to be an LAV crew. Like, what is an LAV? Like why, what, what's going on here? And really, you don't have the big picture of things. You don't understand the flow of things or how training works. Or, or is that part of being an assaultment? And the next day, you know, I'm in a whole new MOS. You know, I think at the time, I think it was 0321, I believe, LAV crewman. And I'm literally learning to become a driver for an, for an LAV 25, you know. And I'm like, my eyes are like, like dazzled man this machine is freaking fun it's got a 25 mic mic millimeter fucking bushmaster cannon and the fucking yeah. thing and the fucking thing floats right right oh and you're gonna have a bunch of crunchies in the back as scouts and you know what at that point in my life i was ecstatic because at that point in our little careers you know like like humping or doing hikes is not a fun thing you know it's right. grueling you know and i'm like i'll never have to hike again a day in my life <laughs> I was like, yeah. whatever this thing is and whatever they're having me do now, like I was in heaven. 
and I'm getting my driver's license, going through all the certifications and everything to be an LAV crewman and, and things like that. And we are just ready to go to the range to go fire that 25 Mike, Mike Bushmaster cannon, get done with class. Tomorrow's the range day. Come out. Same thing happens. Everybody from like, I don't know, and and up. Y'all going to go back. Some of you going to be 0311. Some of you going to be assaultment. And I end right back up where I started. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I went over. I got chosen as an 0331. And I went, yeah. I went to freaking become an 0331. And literally next day, and they're already half halfway through their freaking school. And the first thing I know, and I'm sitting in this classroom, and they're halfway through like learning the 50 cal. And everybody knows how to do headspace and timing. And they, they even know what a 50 cal is. And I have no freaking clue. And I'm like, I'm getting very jaded. I'm like, this Marine right. thing is pretty fucked up situation. And you got to remember at that time, the school of infantry was not a professional MOS. And to be honest with you, like what the fleet Marine force did with staff and COs and sergeants, some corporals that just weren't in standard, so to speak, basically the low end of the totem pole and units wanted to get rid of them. They sent them to SOI. Right. So you Imagine the level of shit baggery of type of instructors and the atmosphere we had and in and, and hazing, not that it ever happened, was a daily occurrence. Right. Allegedly. Yeah. You know, allegedly. And it it was. It was pretty, it was pretty bad. Um, I mean, you were you were you were doing shit that would at times mutilate motherfuckers, right? So you know, your, 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 your instructors and stuff who just didn't like you because of the tinge of your hair. Right. Um, or the cut of your jaw, like would just punish you relentlessly. Um, I don't know, maybe their, their NCO at one time happened to just kind of like look like you. So like they were taking out their vengeance, you know, upon you and your soul, you know? Yeah. Um, it was brutal. It absolutely was. Uh, and I remember at that point I wanted out of the break Absolutely. I was like, if this is what the Marine Corps is, um, and we all had a romantic view at that time, right? The poster. Oh, yeah. Dress blues, blues and women dragons. Had. Oh, yeah. And we'd go out in town and women would just fucking fawn over us and just drop to their knees, right? Like, we were Marines. Uh, and I realized the whole thing inside the Marine Corps. You know? Um, and it was a different type of mental and physical toughness. And there was this, like, thing called human interaction and, like, you know, bad leadership or toxic leadership, all this stuff was happening. That's why I'm literally in the machine gunner class for two days, two days. And that evening, the same thing happens. And to make a long story short, I end up becoming an assaultman again. Yeah. So I spent an extra, like what seemed like an extra month, month and a half in SOI as the Marine Corps, the infamous school of infantry unfucked themselves. But back in that day, it's just kind of how they did things, like by the numbers, by like you like you like working parties like sucked because my my last name was always S. And I don't know what it was. They always be like, you're if your freaking last name starts with freaking and above, you're going on the you're going on the working party. Um and they used to do your analysis, and for some reason your analysis was done by the last number, your your social security number, you know. And it was like they only picked like two two numbers every time because <laughs> that's all Marines could count to, you know, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. like, I just pissed yesterday and I got to piss again today and then I got to piss next week. And then I got to like, it, I was like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> um, 
going back to boot camp, I will tell you this though. The worst name in the freaking world to ever have as a last name is my last name. <laughs> Right. You know, if anybody wanted to jump off the third deck of the freaking recruit barracks, it was me because like everything was, I mean, my name in boot camp was recruit week. You know, oh, come yeah. here, ass, hey, recruit week. And after a while, like you, like it gets to you, man. Like, maybe I am weak. Maybe I am frail. Like, you know, um, the, I remember my, my heavy would make me take like, like he would just fuck with me. He didn't like, Everybody get like one shower a day, like maybe run through the rain shower like two or three times. Cause you know, he's like, I smell something strong. Hey, mm. hey, hey, recruit wheat, run in the fucking head, you know, go give yourself a shower. And I, I like dreaded my last name time I graduated. Okay. Yeah. And it, oh, that sure. also, that also got to me. God damn, man. And I was like a fit motherfucker on the boot camp because I had just gone through an <laughs> Olympic wrestling camp. Yeah. Like, like a couple months prior, you know, I was a physical stud. I was the only one I could do like 20 fucking pull-ups plus. And like, it was like, like physically boot camp was nothing to me, to be honest. The mental piece was something else, but the physical piece, I was like, this is kind of like, you know, plus I grew up as a farm boy, you know, I bailed right. 300 acres of hay and, and was that kid that got up at, you know, zero dark 30 to milk cows and shovel shit and fucking, you know, so like hard work even ever since I was a young kid was like, you know, and I would actually like look at other dudes and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, no work ethic or didn't understand the Nintendo generation that lived in their basement. Right. So like when we're milky, right. white, and pale, milky, white, and pale, I remember my first hike, like watching people snap ankles and like fall out. What is wrong yeah. with these people? You know? And it, it, yeah. so, so I was blessed, man. The physical part of all of that stuff never bothered me. Um, PT like was a good thing. You know, I grew up my whole life wrestling as well. And, and that was just a wrestling practice, man. You know, uh, and I, I, you know, that alpha male mentality, like I looked for that shit. Like I loved it, you know? Um, but yeah, it was a challenge. So getting that through SOI, you know, we all graduate, we go to the fleet Marine force. Once again, I get fucked. I literally <laughs> had orders literally orders in hand. We're all getting on the buses to go to our units or go to the airport to fly to our units. I am flying to third battalion, third Marines, Hawaii. Ooh. Like you don't know the <laughs> visions of grandeur that dance in this freaking little Marines head. Right. Like, right. like palm trees, beaches and bikinis. Right. Yep. Like I am just ecstatic. My, my, you know, call my family, let them know. Like, you know, I'm going to Hawaii, you know, I'm going to yeah. the main exchange. I'm going to a little PX. They're buying freaking, you know, sunscreen, <laughs> you know, uh, like I'm in there shopping for Hawaiian shorts, you know, and sandals. <laughs> like after all, all this misery of boot camp and SOI, you know, the gods have shined on me, you know, chesty pullers looking out for me, man. <laughs> Getting on the bus and first aren't running around scrambling. And he's pulling and yanking people out of the lines while dudes are getting on the bus. And he's swapping orders. And he grabs me and he's like, your orders have changed. Here's your new orders. Grabs me physically and moves me over to this other bus. And I am the only private from that graduating school of infantry that's getting on this bus. And I'm like, what the fuck? 
And the orders are to 29 palms. And I remember there was a corporal, the driver was a corporal, and I'm asking, like, what is, where's, where's 29 palms? What is 29 palms? And I remember this like shit eating grin on his face. Dude, it's 29 palms. Can you like palm trees? Think about it. Oh, is that, like, is that what he was saying? Oh, yeah. He's he was like selling like, it. Just selling it to me. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, Corporal. You know, it's like, have a seat. You know, it's a short ride. And I show up, I get orders to 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines. And I'm like the only freaking private checking into 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines. And you remember, you, the guys have told stories on here, you know, what it's like to show up to the Fleet Marine Force yeah. on your first day. And I, it was, you know, the drive up, it was late in the evening, it was dark out. And I arrive in the Mojave Desert. But all I can see is these beautiful dancing lights all over the place. And, you know, just shadows of mountains. And like, as you're driving in, as we all know, because you all have done caxes and javelin thrusts, you've been to 29 Palms a few times. Right. Driving on, they have all, you know, it's like three miles from the main gate to the base. And there's all these beautiful palm trees lined up. And I'm just like, wow. And I'm in my alphas, you know, <laughs> got my sea bag. And in the middle of the night, they just dropped me off of the 7th Marine Regiment officer of the day. And I got off that bus and it's like 120 fucking degrees. <laughs> the middle of the night. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where am I? And I'm like, and I got in that asshole dropped me off at the bottom of the hill and points to the top of the hill with this giant flag flying. That's where you need to go check in. And I humped up this hill with my big ass sea bag and my alphas just dripping wet, you know? Yeah. So wet as sweat. It looked like a bag of ass. And I remember walking in there and he's like, oh, you're going to 2-7. And uh, uh, that night walks me over to 2-7. And at the time, the battalion was at Bridgeport. So there was like a small number of Marines left behind you know, their main behind unit. And uh, I remember, like, they put me in this room. And I was with a senior Lance Corporal. But he had Feliciano? Yeah. <laughs> but, he, but he had pictures on the wall, and he looked like an animal. Like, he had pictures of himself. He was kind of in love with himself. Like, it, like, I was like, when this guy gets back, he's going to eat me for lunch. And here I am. I'm a buck private. You know? The only thing I have is on my, on my uniform is little national defense ribbon, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So they're all at Bridgeport for like about two weeks. All I did was sit in the barracks and I had to check in twice a day with the duty NCO and just scared out of my freaking mind. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I remember the day the battalion came back and it was a nightmare and I was the only private. And like, like I said, the, the rules were a little bit loose in the hazing world at that time. And there was no one to deflect that punishment. There was no other, like I didn't come as an SOI class, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. me, myself and Irene. Man, and I, I definitely got a lot of attention. So, uh, fast forward, man, uh, ended up, you know, obviously being in, I was in a weapons company, uh, and for the younger generation of Marines, they probably don't remember it, but uh, the, I was a the venerable M47 Dragon. That was a Dragon gun, uh, which was an absolute piece of shit weapon. <laughs> and it was basically the predecessor to the tow. It was man-carried, man-portable. Uh, it was a wire-guided missile. The thing weighed a fuck ton. 
And you didn't get to fire that thing because of allotments and like where we were, I think at the time yeah. Clinton, Clinton was president. There's this huge drawdown in the military, never had ammo. And I, I, you know, if anything that I, that I became hardened in two seven was at that time in the Marine Corps, like, like it was about physical toughness, like doing 20 mile hikes on a regular basis was a thing. And I was in a weapons company. So yeah. everything, everything was a cruiser weapons. Like we hiked everything, 81s. We hiked the whole tow system. We hiked, we 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 humped Mark 19s. We humped dragons. We we humped all the heavy weapons. And my CO at the time was hardcore. Like we did hikes non freaking. And then and then in 29 Palms, in the sand, you know, and yeah. those hiked on a beach like know what that's like. It's absolutely miserable, and your skin is just absolutely raw. Your feet are raw. Your crotch, your 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 ass is raw because of all the sand that gets in there, and uh, it was miserable. Um, at the same time, it was a blessing because as a young marine, I saw it all. I got to train on all kinds of weapon systems. I got to see, watch, and observe on a constant basis close air support from all different kinds of fixed wing and rotary wing platforms. Um, I got to see, you know, why does everybody go to twenty balls? Because everybody, you know, the the gold standard is conducting a company level attack on range 400. Right. You know, I mean, Tom, I came to three, six, I literally knew range 400 like the back of my hand because that was our backyard. You know, I must've ran like 30, 40 range 400s. I understood combined arms. I understood what suppression is. I understood what, like, you know, how to, you know, shift, cease and displace fires. Um, I knew how to breach. Was, was it? I don't know. You to, I don't remember if it was on the podcast. I can't remember exactly. It might have been Provost. It might have been Eunice. I can't remember who. But someone was telling you, being brought up Range 400, which, yeah. you know, is like like you said, the gold standard company assault on a target. Um, and they were talking about, I guess, like you and Hater were running the machine gun hill every time. With the right. machine gunners, because that's probably right. one of the, the hardest things to do on that range, right? Right. And they said in between running, like you guys would come down and you were doing jump, like you and Hater were doing jumping jacks, you were doing squats, like you guys just you didn't stop. You kept like everybody else was taking a rest. He's like, right, he's like these guys were fucking crazy, man. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> just, sometimes, just going. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's proven to your Marines that you can go farther because range range 400 for those that don't know who have never been there, done that, or for our civilian listeners out there, um, you know, it is a company live fire attack. It is balls to the wall. You are combat loaded. It is exactly how it would be in combat. If you cross the line in orchard, you're loaded for bear. Um, and it is a gradual slope uphill with about a 30% grade for over a mile, mile and a half. And it's all synced, coordinated, and timed with the utilization of combined arms and everything organic to an infantry battalion to include, um, depending upon which scenario you're running, to include like other unorganic attachments such as LAVs, 81 millimeter mortars, close air support, either by fixed or rotary wing. And it is dangerous as fuck. And uh, my third day in the fleet, you know, after the battalion came back, 
like there was the op tempo back then, like they didn't give these like breaks, like, Oh, you're going to take a 96 or you're like, Hey, we need a couple weeks off the rest from coming back from, from an exercise. The, I will say this about seventh Marines, the training you receive, but just the training op tempo, like is a culture out there. And the time gets back and like three days later, man, I'm on this 14 mile hike. Cause that's how far it is from main side. That's how many times I did it. And I know that number by the back of my hand, it's full 14 fucking miles slightly and slowly uphill in ankle knee, knee deep sand, like doing a crew serve weapon hike out to range 400. And I'm a private and I'm humping this M 47 dragon. Um, the NTAS 21 or where the hell it was, the night site, these bottles of batteries. I mean, the, the system itself was like 75 pounds alone. And, and you're on a 14 mile, your first company 14 mile hike for yourself going out to range 400 in the middle of the day at 120 degrees. And I was like, what the fuck did I join the French Foreign Legion? Right. Um, I couldn't believe like we even took this land from Mexico, man. Like, why the fuck did we fight over this shit? Because who's never been in a desert before, the Mojave Desert, like the place is vast. You can't believe there's a whole desert in the United States of America. And then, of course, the Marine Corps chose it, right? <laughs> like, where do you want to have a base? Like, how about the bottom of hell? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, that's awesome. But- yeah, but you guys are uh, you guys are you guys are aquatic. Like, you should be. You know, we need a place. We need a place. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we pick. We pick like the devil's ass to like play in. Right. So, so, uh, but one of the, Oh shit moments, my first Oh shit moment. And I think it happened like 93, 92. Um, there was an O three fifty one that died out there during a range on range 400 and they had a cross out there and guess where the bivouac site was right next to the fucking cross. No shit. Like, oh shit. Seriousness. Just like hit you like a rock. Like, Oh, oh yeah, and your and your your senior Marines are churching it up. Oh yeah, man, people die here. Like, yeah, like you better do your shit right, you know. Like, um, that helped me out tremendously, though. Lead Marines are taking over as a weapons platoon sergeant. Um, it was a natural flow from my experience like it wasn't like a lot of platoon sergeants don't want to take on weapons platoons because they've never really been exposed to you know uh mortars you know assault men uh machine guns you know and yeah. uh, and uh i felt comfortable i felt home as a weapons platoon sergeant there was nothing i did not need to learn anymore or at least had a good solid platform and could focus more on leadership than weapons stuff you know, and right. or learning it myself, you know, uh, you know, death by fire hose and, and, and things like that. I'm trying to spin yourself up on what are these things? How do I employ them? What are limitations capabilities? How do I attach and detach Marines to the line platoons? Um, it was a natural flow. So it wasn't a struggle for me taking over weapons. Platoon. Um, and I, I claim a lot of having a good solid basis of my knowledge and tactics. Very thankful. Like I, Hated God Himself for sending me to Twenty Nine Palms, but I will sure. I will tell you I will tell you what man I I experienced it all out there, and I got to see it all. Not only that, I got to crack at it and do it. And well, then, and like you you just said there, you were talking about taking over weapons platoon. You yeah. had that experience from Twenty Nine Palms, but also, Lee like creating with Lieutenant Carey 
and implementing a map platoon. Oh yeah, brother. That was yeah, in Iraq. Just yeah. It, you know, yeah, that was the experience like, like, you had. <clears throat> yeah. So think about it, man. Like we trained up pre-deployment going into Iraq. Like you guys were going to do two things. Either you were going to become another rifle platoon. Like most uh, battalions who were rotating in and out of Iraq, like they got rid of their yep. weapons platoon and made their weapons platoon just riflemen. Yeah. Uh, uh, for that flexibility and general support and having another maneuver unit on the ground for commanders. Um, and just because our AO was so vast, like you needed that to just, you needed that to cover space and time. You needed that extra rifle platoon to do that. Um, and then here we are again, and right? It's like week, like one, I think. And then the, I remember Lieutenant Carey coming to me at that time, like, uh, we're going to be a map platoon. And poof, Puff the Magic Dragon showed up with all these up armored Humvees and gun trucks. <laughs> and you guys, not only did you not know how to fucking drive them, like had no experience in what we used to call a cat platoon, combined yeah. anti-armor, you know, team. Uh, Fortunate for me, happenstance, that like my MOS is an M47 Dragon Gunner. Toward the end of my first enlistment, they were getting rid of dragons. It was obsolete. But you had all these dragon dudes. And so the concept at the time with the new commandants, new experiment, experiments and stuff in the Marine Corps, they were coming up with this hunter-killer concept and just integrate the assaultment and a weapons company into Capleton. And you guys yeah. will be small gunners and demo dudes. And breaching dudes for the cat team, some experiences left over in tactics and techniques and lessons learned from, you know, Gulf War One. Uh, um, so they integrated us in the cat teams. Well, we never had ammo, so I got to cross train a lot. I got to be the driver. I got to be the, the VC. I got to be the freaking fifty cal Mark nineteen tow gunner. Like my company commander at the time and platoon commander were awesome at like cross training, and we did a lot of it. Yeah. And, also, the tactics and maneuver with vehicles is very different than dudes on the ground, you know? Yeah. Uh, and a, things happen 50 times faster in a, in a mobile maneuverable unit. So you got to think twice as fast. No, there's this new thing. You got to learn all these comm suites in these radios. Yeah. Because that's how, you, that's how you shoot, move, and communicate. And well, so it was good. And that I never liked it, but... Like when we got dropped those gun trucks in Iraq, guess what? Weapons platoon, you're now a map platoon. Yeah. Um, was again a warm and fuzzy feeling for me. I'm like, cool. You know, we get to shoot, move, and communicate on the battlefield because to tell you, I mean, I mean, any guy would be like, what would you rather do? Have standoff, be able to maneuver your unit with a 50 cal and heavy guns, right? Or do you want to be breaching every day, every door, every you know, every house you go to, you know, um, you know, what's the trade-off, right? Right. And you, don't, and you don't get, and again, that LAV experience, like, oh shit, man, I ain't got to carry shit on my back every day. <laughs> you know, like that's a good thing, you know? Um, but yes, uh, the story of Lieutenant Colonel Carey and I is is different, I think, than any platoon sergeant, platoon commander combo um, in 3-6. It, it was crazy because yeah. you guys were a rifle company or a rifle platoon. 
your third platoon. Yeah, we were Afghanistan together. Yeah. And then you guys came. Well, we got Gunny Ruble for a little while. And then yeah, things moved around and happened and changed. And we ended up just every time we thought we got rid of you. <laughs> right. 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 Like the the weekend or the when the first time you showed up and had us, we were just talking about that. Right. When the storm, when the storm rolled in. Right. We were in TC condition one, right? Like uh the uniqueness of that is something that I can't express to you how valuable and appreciative that is. And we 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 once going back like to the basics, like we we teach Marines to know each other, right? And to know your Marines intimately and explicitly, and that bond and that trust and that brotherhood. Um, you know, and I read books about like some of this experiences in like Vietnam, like like I'm going to refer to him at that point as Lieutenant Carey. Um, and I knew each other so freaking well. I knew how he thought. I was two to three steps ahead of him before he asked if things were accomplished or done or prepped and, or like just tactical maneuver or positioning of vehicles or like he didn't have to concern himself. I was already thinking for him, already established it. Not based off of ego, but just based off of our rapport with each other. You know, I could identify him from through my night vision goggles by the end of Afghanistan, and just by his bodily behavior and mannerisms, I could execute already before he before he even said a word. Like you right. know, you know, we were read into each other so well. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was unique, and no platoon sergeant, platoon commander had that experience. You know, like yeah. you wrote, you rotate platoons, you rotate platoon commanders, you rotate platoon sergeants. Like it happens on the daily. And for some reason, just because of where I was in my career, rank and seniority, like and where he was when he came to us, like a couple of weeks before we left for Afghanistan. And, you know, I'm already thinking in my head, what's the life expectancy of a lieutenant in Vietnam? 13 seconds, right? And like, oh, cool, I got this brand new second lieutenant straight from infantry officer's course. Hi, this is your new platoon. Hi, we're going to Afghanistan. And I'm already writing my freaking novel, right? Right. Like, I know how this shit ends. I'm not coming home. You know, like, uh, and just our unique character blend, we fit together so well. Um, and it was, it was a marriage, you know, and unbeknownst to you guys, we had our disagreements. Like we had our disagreements, you know, there's probably some spousal abuse in there, right? Like there was (laughs) just, there was some disagreements, but as professionals, we kept it behind closed doors. Very true, man. Yeah. You you guys did. You know, unity effort, unity command, but also like that can leak into a platoon. You know, why is the platoon sergeant, platoon commander like pissed off at each other, angry? And then there's a gap. When you have a gap with Marines, Marines will exploit that very easily. <laughs> They'll play mom against dad, right? Yeah. Um, but together, an unsaid rule is like that will never happen. And there was arguments about tactics. There was arguments about like employment. There was arguments on, on missions and, and like uh, all kinds of discussions. Some of them very professional, some of them very direct, some of them. But at the end of the day, my job as a platoon sergeant, right? 
is to give my experience, my knowledge, you know, uh, to my platoon commander. Right, wrong, or indifferent, at the end of the day, when he says go and he he selects option A, B, or C, and he's come up with his plan, whatever it may be, at the, the end of the day, the wise old man says, Roger that, sir, let's go do it. And then come out to the Marines and sell and sell freaking hot chocolate, a 120 degree day. And you guys drink it and be like, wow, that's the best hot chocolate I ever had on this 120 degree day. Right? Give us some more. Yeah. Like it burned my lips and ch- you know, like I got blisters all down my throat, but like, man, that was the greatest shit ever. And then make you feel happy about it. Um, because once again, confidence in your Marines and giving them that confidence to go create hate and discontent and violence of action on target is important and not, and, and not to have them weather or wane. Um, because the sad thing is, is like, you know, those are the hard decisions. Those are the hard decisions that you have to task your Marines with. Like go clear that house, go breach that freaking door. Even though it's the fatal front, you know, like two seconds later, you may not see that dude again. Yeah. Um, go clear that minefield, go clear that IED knowing like, it's the Lance Corporals of the world that that fought the war on terrorism. And that's what people understand. It's the 18, 19-year-old kids uh, that were doing the dirty work, the hard work, you know? Um, and my job was hopefully to set my platoon commander up for success and give him everything I had on a daily basis, regardless of the mental fatigue, the physical fatigue, uh, and the enemy is both ways. Like when you're a platoon sergeant, you deal with a lot of internal friction in a platoon, as well as the external friction, the enemy. You know, you deal with, you know, grandparents dying, moms in the ha- uh, moms in the hospital with cancer. You get the dear John letters. You're consoling Marines behind closed doors. They're coming to you as a father figure to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, they're you know, they're uh, exposing hidden secrets to you. They're, they're, uh, you know, uh, you know, you guys are beating the shit out of each other because you guys are sick of each other after a while. And like, you're dispelling fights. Um, you're guarding and protecting them, putting up your little staff sergeant shield from higher leadership and their nonsense. And like, why, why Lance Cobra France got a haircut? You know, like, <laughs> like, I don't give a shit if he doesn't have a haircut. We just got down after a 10 day patrol, you know, and like three firefighters. I don't really give a shit if his hair is zero to three inches at this point. Do you, you know, right. those are the behind scenes that like platoon sergeants <laughs> rules fill. you know, um, the staffs aren't hearts of the world. The staffs aren't veins of the world. Those are the like fights and the unity of effort we had as platoon sergeants guarding and protecting our Marines from bullshit from higher. Yeah. And then when we had to take it, we were also good salesmen. Oh man. Like this is the best freaking turpentine you're ever going to drink. You know, yeah. like, like it's flavored, it's blueberry. Just enjoy it. Um, hey guys, you know, what's going to be a great memory you'll carry with you for the rest of the time. Just sweeping these streets in Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not go there. Right. Like, yeah, you, you and, and you have to be willing to lay down your rocker and speak truth to power when shit's fucked up. Right. And there are, there are things that you cannot protect your Marines from that are overbearing you know, we can talk about some toxic leadership stuff that, you know, isn't a hidden truth. Like we endured certain commands that we had during our tenure, you know, and four or five years 
you know, and the different leaderships that stepped in and things like that. Um, you, you know, if anything, Marines can identify bullshit from a mile away. Um, or things that put Marines in danger just out of like, you know, wanting to suck the dick from higher. Right. So, right. Like, you know, like polishing sandbags in Iraq is very important because, <laughs> because there's a general, we, and you know, the infamous quote, cause we got to look good. Uh, Did we talk about on the podcast having to, to fill sandbags just to eat? Right. I don't know if we brought that, uh, that could have been, you know, cause we have so many, like, <clears throat> we have so many group texts and messages and we've done phone calls and like so yeah. many crazy things have happened since May, um, which is awesome, man. I mean, I just love how much everybody's like united and back together and sharing the stories. And it's like so much positivity coming from it. Uh, but yeah, man, we might've just been sitting around the house telling somebody, telling our wives or something, how, you know, like literally having to fill like what, 10 sandbags just to go get some nasty ass chow. You know, the whole thing with that would blow my mind. And yours truly never filled a sandbag because I was like adamant, like this is the dumbest thing in the world, right? And the reason being, and and just out of like sanity. And I remember like when I was in line, because remember our child hall was beneath the ground, right? You know, it was like dug into the ground. It had like, it was sandbagged all the hell. Yeah. There's mortars and rockets and shit like that. And this thing came out where we need more sandbags, yeah. you know, and to maximize that, I, the, I think the intent was, was good. I think the execution was flawed. And so here Marines would stand in line and they had the, those little plastic Tupperware wash bins. You'd wash your hands. Right. Yeah. And then the next thing these you're doing, the next step is, is filling sandbags <laughs> and then you go eat. And then the thing was an explosion of dysentery and freaking Marines getting sick in the uh, Iraqi crud. And people were like, why are the Marines getting so sick? And I, I remember like this one company, me, I'm like, what? Why do you think they're getting sick? Like it, it, the, the common sense, like even like the, the, the simple things, like, and those are leadership things. Those are being a watchful leader, applying logic to things, but also listening to your junior leaders. I will tell you why the Marines are getting sick. No, and then you get back. No, they're not getting sick because of that. You're right. Because like washing your hands, filling your freaking face or your your body with dirt and crap and crud and piss crystals from the piss pit that's 10 feet away, like probably isn't getting the Marines sick. And those are some of the things like the small things you as a platoon sergeant also like you always have to like hound on Marines. It's like hygiene, hygiene, like, uh, you know, taking care of Marines isn't just like teaching them how to employ weapons. It's like also, you know, after the mental fatigue and everything, and you've been awake for three or four days, like you're the asshole and you have, there's, and it sucks, man. Don't get me wrong. Like there's times where I was extremely hard on you guys because, you know, combat fog comes in and you get complacent and you don't clean your weapon. As, as much as it used to and you don't you don't hygiene as much as you used to or you don't wash your nasty clothes you know and you don't take care of your birthing area and, and uh you bring food in there and, and like you bring food on in your birthing area like all all kinds of complacent stuff seeps in 
And you're like the guardian in that line of defense that has to shepherd that on a daily basis. And your shepherding cannot waver. And those little, those little things, like you lose one Marine because he's sick and he can't go on patrol, creates a ripple effect across the whole freaking tax set of operations you're conducting. You right. know, down. Like for us, we were like at times, 99% of the time, we were one man deep. If I lost you as my driver, I didn't have a replacement for Francis as my driver because we didn't have anybody to replace you. Yeah. We have, no, we didn't we, have, we didn't have we didn't four have, trucks. Okay, Vito. We didn't have we didn't have freaking Hunter. Like I, I couldn't afford to swap trade because we were already running on a thin schedule. You know, we had, you know, map map one and map two. We split the platoon in two so we could cycle on and off, rest period, you know, retrofit, regrade, fix the fucking Humvees, the up armors. You know, do weapons maintenance on the up guns. Uh, you know, it was a cycle of operation that could not be broken down. And so those small things that like, like, you know, you guys would call me hurricane, like the hurricane's coming, you know, like I wasn't going to let it slip. Uh, I wasn't going to, I was going to turn my blind eye to stuff. I wasn't going to let just, I wasn't going to let things go. Uh, and that's probably why Lance Cobble Jones's uh, coffee cup is still missing to this day, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you said something about uh, like you listen listening to the junior Marines. I want to share this one real quick, also, because uh, uh, he Carrie sent me this yesterday. Also, he said I tell people all the time, and I had the podium to do it for two years of the platoon sergeant course at SOI that the best platoon sergeant in the Marine Corps trained and enabled me. I also told him that I learned far more from the Marines, you guys, about many things than I ever learned at TBS or IOC or in college. You guys made that a blast. And that's, I mean, you know, I, I wanted to share it because it's cool that he texted me that. Right. But right. I'm just one dude. You know, I want to share that to, to all the guys that listen and let them know you know, you guys had an incredible impact on us, but also I think it's important for the boys to know the impact that they had on you and other people and leadership positions. And because uh, I know you're listening, sir. <laughs> he also told me that. He, he probably said, is. Yeah, he probably is. He said, don't call me, sir. We're both in our 40s. And I said, hey, I got eight more months. Don't fucking age me yet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I got eight more months in my in my 30s. Um but yeah, yeah. I mean, cause now I have the podium to do so. So I just I feel it's important to share with the boys and and let them all know, you know, the impact that they had in our leadership lives. Like that's that's a fucking lieutenant colonel of the United States Marine Corps, you know, that's that's saying that. If that don't mean something to you, this is kind of piggybacking on our our last podcast that we the last episode. Like, man, if that don't fucking mean something to you, I don't know what does. Yeah. Uh silent leadership and and lieutenant colonel perry exasperated that and what i mean by that is the other thing peculiar about the man was like he was always last and like you know as leaders you're going to be up front at first but in last i mean like quietly and humbly you know uh the things he would do he was always last he was the last to sleep he was the last to eat yeah you know his Marines 
were always first. I mean, even as a platoon sergeant, you know, uh, he would, you know, I had all my hate discontent and, and coordination and all this stuff I had to do with you guys. You know, I was doing the platoon sergeant thing. You know, he might be over at the COC with the head shed, you know, uh, doing operational tactical planning and things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, he'd always come to me and he would just say small things. You eat yet? Did you sleep yet? You know, um, no, I haven't. Well, let me know when you do. He didn't say like, go do that right now. Let me know when you do. Yeah. Uh, but he would wait. He would wait till you and got, I mean, even walking, I mean, he would wait till you ate. He wait till you slept. He would wait until you took care of all the Marines. And, you know, it's the, it's the quiet price of leadership that isn't exemplified in a lot of leaders. There's a lot of leaders that you see that don't hit that epitome of what we as Marines see as leaders. You know, there's, there's not a lot of commanders or officers, you know, they're even less, you know, there's like, let's say 10% of what is made of your unit is officers. But even out of that 10% of officers, there's like a 1% that actually get it. That you actually, guys even did it. You guys even did it at the reunion. Oh, did we? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I just, yeah, I, guess I remember strolling in for breakfast or whatever Saturday morning. And, you know, there's there, you guys are just kind of hanging out, standing there, you know, just, just hanging out, talking. All the boys are getting food. And I remember walking in and someone, you know, maybe Carrie or whoever's like, yeah, go ahead, Francis. And, you know, once, once you guys saw all of us have our food, you guys moved in. You know? <laughs> Yeah, having a thought like, but like those those quiet subtleties that aren't expressed, but like something like was taught to me. Your Marines that you lead are always watching you, even when you don't think they're watching you. They're yeah. observing. Like we observe human behavior more than we, you know, more than we express. And Marines are always watching. And you know, you have to be, you have to show up every day. You have to be the, you have to be the platoon sergeant. You have to be there for your Marines. Um, regardless of anything on your personal side of your life that's going on or, you know, uh, your emotional set, your, your fatigue, you know, um, you know, uh, you go, you go like as seen a senior leader, like, it just goes without said, you're going to get less, you're going to get less sleep, you're going to get less rest, you're going to get less time, you get less of everything. And it's lonely at the top, you know? Yeah. It's not like yeah. I, I had another staff sergeant in the platoon or another platoon sergeant in the platoon to go to and bitch, whine, complain yeah. off that vent. Like, you're just by yourself. And so you become, you know, same with the platoon commander, same with the corpsman. Like, there's one of you. And like, you know, you don't have a, a platoon to go back to after you conduct ops and, and sit there in the in the bunker and 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 get to kind of like vent and release and and uh, you know drink those little nippers that you guys got sent to you by care packages that nobody knew about, right? Like you don't have, yeah. Uh, well, I was telling Carrie that's that's probably honestly another because it's funny it goes with what you were saying about how Marines are always watching, right? Right. And and I told him I said probably another huge reason that I didn't reenlist or want to reenlist is I knew I wouldn't be with the guys 
anymore. You know, I wouldn't be with Hunter, Lybrook, Bally, Stow. Like, you know, I, I didn't want to be that lonely guy on my own. Um, you know, and I always tell people if I could have re-enlisted with that group and we could have stayed together, fuck yeah, I'd have done it. But it wasn't gonna happen. Right. Right. And and to your point, you know, as the higher up you go, the lonelier it gets. And uh it's funny because the Marine Corps kind of gets it, kind of had it right at one point, kind of did it. Um and, and and definitely like you talk you listen to Vietnam vets and stuff, you know, it was it was very it's sad. You know, uh you went to boot camp, you didn't go to, you know, uh typically uh dudes that graduated boot camp in Vietnam, like you all went to Vietnam together. Not only that, but your drill instructors went with you. Yeah. So that cohesiveness, that team, like from day one, like you went together. The bad thing they didn't do right on the back end was like you left Vietnam by yourself. You know, they just plucked you out of the jungle. Your 13 months were up. Like, you know, Hilo would land, you jump on and you never saw anybody ever again. They didn't have, you know, social media and Facebook. And yeah. Like, like you never saw your brother again, man. But if you were hit or wounded, you never saw him again. Don't know what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, psychologically, just it had to been fucked. Right. Um, and we almost get it like, like World War II, you know, a while how these guys didn't suffer these traumatic PTSD and all this other stuff. If you read stories, like these guys got on shit. Yes. As, as a unit, like the first Marine division after the, you know, like, you know, they went down to Camp Matilda in Australia, the old breed after Guadalcanal. They were there for like a couple months. Yeah compressing just hanging out i mean i think you get yeah. a little picture of that in that mini series the pacific you know uh that's why we like the camp we went and did urban training in california it was camp matilda and everybody's like why is it named matilda because okay. the Marine Corps loves its lineage and history like that's what we're about our yeah. traditions our customs our courtesies is what makes the marine corps the marine corps and we laud our forefathers man like we respect implore that you as a marine know about Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, Tarawa, you know, yep. uh, like with the old breed, like, like, like to learn and to educate yourself. Like Marines are different that way. Yes. We love our history. We love our traditions. We love like learning about, you know, uh, you know, John Bassalone, Chesty Puller, you know, like those are, <laughs> our, those are our heroes and their legends live on. And that's a standard we we expect each other to hold each other to, but live up to. And then going forward in Iraq, it was almost there. Like the majority of you Marines got dropped to companies as an SOI class. Yes. You know, but you didn't serve with each other in boot camp. Some of you did, some of you didn't, you know. You come to SOI as a unit, you go to a operating unit together. Uh but after a while, we were very fortunate in 3-6. We retained a lot of the same Marines for our second combat deployment. Yeah. I want to say probably around 80%. Yeah. Yeah, we kept a lot. You know, and that's what made Lima special is, like, not a lot of units were like that. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, we were fortunate. And even across the battalion, we probably retained about 
of these combat season vets who were all at SOI together, all went to 360 together, did two combat deployments together. Yeah. It just happened to work out that way. Well, I know um, we were Charlie Company SOI. Okay. And it's funny because you're talking about the the letters. They did the same thing with us. If you were M, because Jacob Morris, right? Yep. If you were M that, to Z, you were three six. If you were A to was it N, you were two six. And the only exception was the assault section. The entire assault section, regardless of name, we all yep. came together. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have always been so fucking tight. Is you know we we did man SOI and our whole four years we were there together through everything. I mean, and that was volumes. awesome. It speaks volumes because even at the reunion, the Semper Five Fund folks, right, were blown away at our camaraderie. And yeah, like, we have. I mean, they expressed it, you know, over and over. We have never seen a unit like this. Yeah, like there is genuine love among you. There's this brotherhood. And we see in other units, but this is this is unique. This is something else. And how many came to the reunion? I don't know. We have 190. I don't remember. Uh, you know, it was they were just like, wow. You yeah. know, we've never ever seen anything like this. Uh, and that speaks to the same thing I was talking about with the rapport <laughs> Lieutenant Carey and I had together. Like you keep what would ever frustrate me at times, certain leaders would make would move Marines around to different platoons. And they didn't understand that special trust and confidence and bond those Marines had made. And like, especially when Marines got promoted to Lance to Corporal, immediately if you made Corporal, you went to another platoon. Yeah. And I thought it was like the most, you know, that was the worst thing that could have ever happened. I mean, if my brother made Corporal, I would only have more respect to him and follow him more. I know him inside and out. He can read me like there's this, you know, explicit, implicit lateral communication that's going on that nobody can can express verbally, but it's there. Um, there's this trust, this bond, this brotherhood, this mutual suffering that you've gone through in this experience over a few years. And just because you became an NCO, I'm going to move you over to first. Platoon. Yeah, uh, that I it would grind me to no end to see that. Uh, they did in Afghanistan, which blew my mind initially, like when the Baker's dozen, right? The 13 Marines were selected to be part of a special patrol unit to go outside fucking the perimeter. The initial, I remember like that was like one of my first like chest beatings I got from the company leadership because I think it was, I, I literally clicked off safe. I remember that meeting like yesterday. What we're going to do is we want hand select individuals from each platoon to form this super squad. And I man, I exploded. Not only are you sending the wrong message to the Marines, like, oh, you're just not good enough. Yeah. Your squad sucks. Your team sucks. Oh, I'm not a good enough leader. Like, we're going to hand select dudes. Like, it's a special forces selection assessment, you know. Uh, and then we're going to form the super squad. But the rest of you shitbirds, you know, like, you're just going to be, you know, left on perimeter security. Like, yeah. I remember just, like, what are we doing? Since when in the Marine Corps, like I have utmost trust and confidence in these Marines. They've been training together. They've been together. They have gone through a whole workup together. And you're going to break them all apart, breaking the trust and confidence. 
you know, in that unit. Like, yeah. Who, where in the Marine Corps did you ever learn this? Uh, yeah, that was a special moment. That was a special moment. But I got my way. Yeah. Well, no, Afghanistan, you know, like you said, Iraq was definitely, yeah, I mean, I think all of us that did both. Yeah. Right? Just night and day, night, you know, leadership, all sorts of things. Um, you know, right. we've, we've, we've like blown through a second hour here. I know you really want really? hammers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you wanted to hammer some stuff on the VA. Right. You know, right. so you want to take some time before we, un, you know, got to wrap up the, to get that out there. Yeah. We'll switch roles here. So like, yeah, we'll put on our like civilian hats and like what you're supposed to do as a Marine. Right. So, um, you know, I retired in 2016 and I will tell you since 2016, the amount of money changes atmospherics within the VA have changed dramatically, you know, uh, and I know we all heard horror stories from, you know, either our grandfathers, fathers, uncles, whatever the case is served in Vietnam, the bitter taste in their mouths for the government as well as the VA because obvious reasons. Uh, but things have changed, especially the claims process, right? Like Tyrion was, was touching on that. Like, like I had 21 years in and I dreaded, like I kicked that can down the bucket for many years even before I filed my first claim. Cause I didn't want to sit in front of a dude who I didn't know. who was a County employee and tell him my war stories. Right. You know, and why I'm all like who I am. And so like that, that kept me away. And, and then the other you know, once again, Tierney hit on this too. Like, oh, I'm going to take this money Talbot. away from another fuck. Or sorry, Talbot took this <laughs> money away from. Yeah, I keep saying Tierney. The the T brothers, right? So right, right. And it goes back to what he said. Uh, he's always confused. Yeah, he's always confused, man. He's a slippery dude. So, <laughs> um, tactical Teddy. So, uh, by the way, I wonder if Triple T is still out there. The tactical Teletubby. All right. Yeah. Yeah, shout out, man. Shout out. I missed that guy. Uh your claim process. I mean, like dudes that want to say they have PTSD. All you need to put on your claim process literally is combat actions, Afghanistan, Iraq. The VA sees your record. They know you were deployed to a combat center. They knew you were an O3XX. They know you they can read your ribbons. And like you got combat action ribbons, man. Like you were on the forefront. Like they can they they know that. That's all you need to put on the form. Operation Iraqi Freedom, one tac five, you know, Operation Enduring Freedom, however deployments you did on your PTSD form. Yeah. The VA is going to send you to a CMP exam and, and you're going to get a psychological evaluation, which takes about an hour. You don't have to sit there in front of some stranger and diluge and divulge all your hidden secrets and the shit you saw or did. And like, you know, that's stressful. And they understand yeah. that. But the claims process in itself. I had 21 freaking years. I had a lot of shit. Yeah. I was in and out, fully developed claim in and out. And like Tell was saying, like federal law, at a minimum, there are two veteran service officers per county in the United States. Minimum. Two. Google veteran service officer and your county, and it will pull up location, grid, phone number, call them, set up an appointment. Bring in what you have in your medical records. The VA has all your shit when you were in service. Like right. That gets all transferred digitally. It's called your C file. It has everything from the day you stepped into MEPS to the day you got out. And any supplementary medical information that you need, things that you had, treatments, procedures, blah, blah, blah. Like 
collect that stuff from the civilian doctors you went and saw, which literally takes in today's world minutes to do. Bring that in. Your veteran service officer is literally going to stand up, take all that stuff, walk over, scan it, put it in the system. You're going to sit there and you're going to make a list from A to B, from the top of your head to the bottom of your head, inside and out. Everything that's broken, missing, forgotten about, aches, pains, nightmares, whatever you're going through, make a list A to B and give him that list. He will take those individual items and he will file a claim for each of those. And he'll sit there and type. Half of it's not even him talking to you. He's just plugging all that stuff in and he hits send. And there's three civilian contractor companies that will contact you, or one out of those three. And they'll be like, we'd like to set up some appointments for this CMP exam. Number one rule, don't miss those appointments. And you go. Collectively you were- for me, collectively for me, it was a total of five CMP exams. And they look over whatever your issue is head to toe. They're very respectful. And the thing about it is be respectful back. Yes, sir. No, sir. Like wins the day, right? Because they do see a lot of veterans. And if you're like that disgruntled, hateful, fucking, uh, you know, F Biden Biden sweatshirt on, like you're an idiot. Yeah. You're going for an interview. You're going for an interview that, that will help you and, and could be life changing. So the day you file. They set a date. So if your claim through the VA process takes nine months, and then you finally, let's say, get 80%, one day you're going to wake up and have a $70,000 check set in your bank account because they back pay you to that date. Right. And you're going to be like, what? What's going on here? And then for the rest of your life, you will receive a check based off of your disability rating for the rest of your life to improve your life. That pot of money does not come from other veterans. Department of Defense, when you join the military, has a second huge insurance policy on you that that treasury is like trillions of dollars. You will never expend it. You won't put a dent in it because you claimed hearing. Like, it blows my mind. And even today, like how quick the process is and how to file a claim is click it and forget it, you know? So get out there, Marines, and do your claims. Contact us that know how to do it or have information and get it done, man. Get it done. Improve your quality of life. Get the health care you need. Get the benefits you need. And be a happier you, man. That sounded like really stupid, but like be a happier you. Because it does take a lot of stress in your life, right? Yeah, I saw something. Somebody posted this two days ago. You know, that New York City is launching a $53 million program. Did you see that? No, to, I did not. To give out prepaid credit cards to migrant families. Sure, sure. $53, $53 million. So you know what? I'll, and it was funny is so many people post that shit. And this is where I'm going with this. They post it on social media, you know, veterans before refugees, all these things. But guess what? What did you say? It's like three something million were involved in the wars. Sure, 3.2 million uh, service members served in the global war on terrorism. About a million filed claims? 33%. Yeah. The and lowest out of any generation of claims ever filed. 33% out of 3.2 million have filed claims for their disability and, edu- and educational benefits. Yeah. Because all you need, many people don't know that, all you need is a 10% rating. And there's a second GI bill out there waiting. 
Yeah. So, and then what you said uh, was around a hundred thousand or or a hundred percent. Yeah, about that. Of that, of that yeah, one million. I think yeah. so. I mean, I guess kind of stop bitching and saying, "Oh, you know, veterans before ref," because it's it's out there, right? I mean, right. like like a like the staff sergeant Gunny Master Sergeant just said, <laughs> right? The Gunny pool Master of money. That's funny. The pool of money is out there. Uh, you know, so like get up and, you know, reach out to the resources, Tiernan slash Talbot, the hurricane, me, whoever, you know, we can put you in touch with people and, uh, we've got an incredible network, incredible brotherhood. Yeah. So like, let's use it. Let's get it done. Right. And it's, and the thing about it is what, and I see it in the work I do, like I see Vietnam vets and, uh, it's. It's sad, man, because they didn't have the health care and the benefits we have. Yeah. And a lot of them were advocates. A lot of the Vietnam vets are why we have what we did today, because of their advocacy. Right. Uh, we owe them a lot because they knew how they were treated and disposed of when they got back and spit on, integrated yeah. our society. And like our benefits are actually freaking pretty damn good. Um, yeah. There's no excuse. So I want to go back to college, but I can. You can't. Because that benefit, you know, depending upon your rating, as you get more in your rating, like there's a lot of doors that open to you and your family. The quality of life for you and your family will be better. That money is a compensation for your selfless service to this country. And not to get all like Trumpism and patriotic, but, but like you've done less, you've done more than less than one tenth of one hundredth percent. You gave your youth, your life, up yeah. to, you know, on the altar yep. of free to go do. And you've been beat the fuck up, especially grunts, man. You've been yeah. beat up. You've been broken. Uh, and that, I'm going to tell you, like the majority of you, I'm like 10, 12 years older than you. And I got like more dog years in the infantry than any of you. <laughs> like you get you like, I'm ready to crest fucking 50, believe it or not, in the next year. 50 yeah. years old, you know, I'm going to be a half a freaking doggone century old. And I tell you what, man, it creeps up on you fast, yeah. you know, and you wear down in dog years. Um, and uh, when, I mean, look at the cost of this, like civilian healthcare. I won't lie, man. Like I enjoy going to the VA, not only because of the healthcare I receive. And I will say I've gotten great healthcare at the VA. I, but one complaint, you know, and that's about it. I've had great healthcare. Yeah. Um, same here, and, St. Louis and yeah. West Palm area, both areas. But I look at my siblings, or I hear from friends on how much in the civilian sector they have to pay a month for healthcare, and I am floored. Yeah, it's expensive. Absolutely floored. Like, how do you even like raise a family? How do you have a mortgage? Like, how do you make it? And, and nowadays, you know, most people, especially down here, they they don't even see doctors anymore. They see the nurse practitioners. It's not like back when I was a kid growing up, like you saw a doctor. When you went to the doctor, you saw a doctor. Right. Yeah. Right. It's well, it's, brother. it's crazy. It's simple. Like, you know what? Tap, rack, bang, do that immediate action and, and conduct business accordingly. You yeah. know, get, get it done, boys. Get it done. Oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you catching up with us again. Taking some time out of your weekend, sharing your your awesome stories, history, and then you know some good knowledge there for everybody. We appreciate it. 
good to see Francis. It's good to see you. You too. And, and Lima Company, take charge. Carry out the plan of the day. Semper Fi, guys. <laughs> <laughs>